your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Tuesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. Like I just said that. Coming up on the show, I'm going to have a retired electrical engineer on. And you're thinking like, okay, what, what will we be talking about? Electrical engineer. We're going to talk about EVs, electric vehicles. No, we're going to talk about uh, making the earth dark. As dark as possible. And not dark in a sinister way like Darth Vader or Thanos or anything like that. But literally dark, like turning off the lights. And, and not even... Not even literally turning off the lights, but uh, changing the lights, changing our lights in in terms of uh, in a way that can benefit people, nature, and uh, astronomers. <laughs> and uh, so Scotland, yeah, he's a dark sky advocate, and they're trying to do this at a couple of state. Well, I don't know if they're. I'll just say parks and reserves here in, in Wisconsin because we only have one where you, you were part of this dark sky initiative and uh, it's Newport State Park. So should be pretty interesting, uh, The just the idea. And then, you know, he's going he's gonna to kind of inform us on, on what we could do at home for anyone that has their uh, their yard lights. Or their their house lights. I have a neighbor that they're they're like garage lights. They're, they're fixtures on the side of their house above their garage. They just point straight out. You could see them from probably from if they, if you could like you could see them from across the valley. Uh, it's kind of annoying, <laughs> but part of me thinks like this: like uh, animals, uh, you know, the nocturnal animals. They they need to be out. And I will say, Scott's not like a. a a biologist in this regard. So he's not going to be able to give you the, he's not going to be able to break down the uh, natural effects of lighting on nature. So there's that, but he, he does, he does know some stuff. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, But before we get to him, there was a January 6th uh, special hearing tonight, today. Uh, one of the revelations was, well, well, one of the revelations was like Trump didn't care that people were armed in the crowd and he was like, eh, get rid of the metal detectors. Like what? Uh, he didn't say it like that, but he said it a little bit more, a little bit more vulgarly, not too bad, but, uh, yeah, just get rid of the metal detectors. They're not here to hurt me. So it's good (laughs) as long as they're not going to hurt me. (laughs) But the other thing was like. He uh, apparently the, they they were trying to drive him away in what they call the beast, the, basically the the presidential limo, and it was kind of funny. They, they the, the the testimony was like he was trying to grab the steering wheel and be like, "No, we're going to the Capitol," and he was fighting. And I was like, "Well, how does that work in a limo? I haven't been in a limo. I don't th- eh, I don't think I've ever been in a limo." But I don't think you have access to the steering wheel really very easily. And as a you know seventy plus you know, almost 80 year old man. Uh, first of all, you have to tell the limo driver to, to roll that middle window down, right? In between the front seat and the back area. And then like, is Trump riding shotgun in the, in the limo? <laughs> like what, what's going on? So apparently he was trying to grab the steering wheel of the limo and say, we're going, we're going to the Capitol or whatever. Uh, 
But I have a hard time believing that because he would have to be sitting shotgun in the limo or reaching over the back, the front seat from the back, which maybe, I guess, it could happen. I don't know, though. doesn't seem plausible. We'll go to the phones. Eric, you're on the air. Go ahead. I urge all callers to your program to call now and challenge this man, your host. He doesn't live up to the moniker of his program. He's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's one-sided. Okay. One point. So what do you, what do you got? What do you got? Take challenge me. Take, challenge me. Challenge me. Nice challenge me. Challenge me. What are you going to challenge me on? Everybody call and challenge Rick on whatever you want, except I don't have anything. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm challenging the testimony today. It seems kind of foolish that Donald Trump would be trying to grab the steering wheel in a limousine unless he's sitting shotgun. And there's no way in the world that Donald Trump would ever be sitting shotgun in a limousine, right? That wouldn't be plausible. Uh, I couldn't be missing some details there. Maybe the beast is like an open, maybe there is no backseat and you can get right to the front seat. I have no idea. Uh, It is also kind of funny. They call it a limousine the beast. Like really? A limousine? The beast? Come on. Like, the beast should be, like, some giant truck with big, huge wheels, like a truck limo or something, not just, like, a regular limo. I'm going to have to Google the beast limo, see what this thing looks like. Anyway, is that enough rambling from me, from Eric? Um, looks like Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call is, is suing the state on its 173-year-old abortion ban, which is nice because the state legislature isn't doing anything because they've been off since March. And uh, they had a special session last week, our Wisconsin state legislature, led by Republicans, letting an 1849 law in the books as Roe versus Wade gets overturned. And uh, every every woman loses their right to choose, and except for when saving the, the mother's life. And we had Jill Billings on last week, and and she, she questioned the idea that if you, how would a doctor know? I mean, maybe in some cases, but if a doctor doesn't, okay, we're having, this is a pregnancy you know what, you, you, this might be tough for the, for you, the mother, and you might die, but I have no, you know, like a hundred percent. And if they don't die, like how, so you got to prove it and then you got to get the lawyers involved. So that was a pretty interesting conversation in that regard with Jill Billings and, and how, uh, that all that would happen. But yeah, we have an 1849 law in the books. Josh calls challenging it now, or our attorney general in the, in the state of Wisconsin and Republicans and, who control the state legislature have been off since March, literally full-time state legislature off since March. They're off for literally the rest of the year, not back in session till January, ignored a special session to even just, you know, debate. Let's debate what we should do to change a law that was created before women had the right to vote. Maybe we could talk about it in session since, you know, we, we haven't been doing anything since March, but no, they ignored it, gaveled in and out in a matter of seconds. Uh, in both the Assembly and the Senate. So, good times. Good times. Good, good. Our government's working for us. Or not working at all, actually. They're literally not working to do anything about anything. All right, we'll be back. We're going to talk about the Dark Sky Initiative. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if you want to get in here. Scott Lind is a retired electrical engineer, a dark sky advocate. This is his theme song, I believe, if it's not like the Empire of Star Wars. Dun, 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 dun. Is that maybe your theme song, Scott? 
Uh, no, but I like the sentiment. I, I prefer the first one, not the second one. Right. Yeah, you don't want to be uh, affiliated with the Empire and Darth Vader, probably. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. But you, but your, but your goal, you know, I read this in the Milwaukee Journal. Your goal is to make the Earth as dark as possible. It does sound pretty sinister. It, I, I read that as well. Yeah, that does sound pretty sinister. Yeah, it's, I'd say as dark as we can appropriately make it in terms of lighting. Yes. Yeah, and and at night because you know if you tried to make it dark during the day, that would be like, what are you going to do? Destroy the sun or put a tarp over the Earth? Or <laughs> yeah, no, daylight. Daylight is great. We love daylight. Right. Uh, and that's um, the key, really, at all this. Yeah. All right, so I, I don't know I don't know exactly where to start, but let's just let's just go with okay we we live here and uh, you know as we kind of cover the rest of the earth and move and spread out, uh, everybody has lights and um, we're finding it harder and harder right to find places on anywhere that that are just com- completely void of light, like just so essentially how nature intended. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, as, as humans have developed electric, electricity and electric lighting, uh, we keep adding more of it, and, and that's not the way the Earth existed for, you know, <laughs> eons, right, before we did that. So it's always been in the past that other than the moon and whatever starlight we had, there was no light at night, and now we're adding more and more every year. And what's the, what's the problem with that? I guess, you know, talking before the show, you said astrolog- astrologers, astronomers, astrologers, Astronom- astronomers, yeah, astronomers. Astronomers. I always get them mixed up. I'm like, ah, the guys that do the, you know, the Pisces and the Leos. Um, but uh, astronomers, uh, you said maybe back in, in the late 80s, you said they kind of started this, but they, they want to see the stars. So, I mean, that makes sense. But, you know, drive out to the country, guys, if you want to get your telescopes out. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, even where we live in rural Ontario, if you get up on top of Wildcat Mountain State Park and look in any direction, you can see sky glow from communities from miles and miles and miles away. And so while you can point a telescope straight up in the sky and avoid a lot of that, uh, you can't avoid all of it, but as soon as you start looking at the horizon, if you're an astronomer and trying to observe stars, uh, that sky glow interferes with the ability to see those stars at the horizon. All right, and, and why, why do, aside from astronomers, why do we care about that? Uh, I think, for me, the big thing is, you know, there's other impacts on it, um, other impacts on nature, wildlife, animals, birds, insects, everything else. But I'm an engineer, and so from a pragmatic standpoint, you try and accomplish the goal at the lowest possible cost, right? Get the function for the lowest possible cost. And so, you know, these days with LED lighting, we have the ability to use a lot less energy than we did, you know, 10 years ago. But oftentimes what happens is people forget that you just put the same amount of light out that you had and you're scattering it to the sky, you're wasting that energy. So you can do it better and save even more energy, and that's really the pragmatic thing. I mean, it's, it's a cost thing for the individual who's putting it in. It's a saving of energy thing, so we're not, we're not burning fossil fuels or we're not having to install more solar panels to power lights we don't need, whatever it might be. Um, it's just a practical thing to do. So you're just frugal. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm frugal. There's no doubt about that. But it's uh, it's what makes sense. It's common sense, really. And I think the the president of the village of Ontario said it best when he said that, you know, you just don't need more light. You need to put the light where it belongs. You put the light where it's needed, and it's not needed in the sky. All right. So we have. Uh, let me see. I've, I've got some stuff bolded, but we have the International Dark Sky Association, which would be literally international, so all over the world. And Wisconsin has one park that is, is part of this association? That's correct, yeah. Newport State Park was designated about five years ago, way up in the far tip of Door County. Uh, they were the first one in Wisconsin to get the designation. 
I think there are roughly 200 worldwide right now that are designated. Okay. And can you just explain what Newport State Park, if you can, and maybe if you can't, just tell me, but what Newport State Park did or or is doing to qualify as being, you know, a dark sky park, I guess? Yeah, so the similar process that we're going through right now uh, to get Kickapoo Valley Reserve, Wildcat Mountain, and the Tunnelville Cliffs property that belongs to Mississippi Valley Conservancy designated as the next park, uh, you have to go through and evaluate the sky, first of all, and see what the sky brightness is in that area to see if you have the potential uh, to do it. And so I'm not the person that takes those measurements, but uh, they have a way of measuring sky brightness in a, you know, in a way you can put numbers on. And the second thing is you go through and look at the existing lights you have in Newport, and they did that in Newport. We're doing that in the other properties now. And you correct those lights by adding shields to them, um, by eliminating lights that aren't needed, evaluate whether you even need the light, first of all, by changing the color temperature of the light. That's a key factor as well, by adding controls to them and so forth. And then the piece that's ongoing uh, at Newport and will be ongoing at Wildcat yeah, is community outreach education to try and explain to the visitors, you know, why we're doing this and and why they should consider doing it when they go home. And then banning flashlights when people want to walk around at night, right? Nope, they no. can bring flashlights. <laughs> I'm just you kidding. Know, that's, the, <laughs> that's that's the ideal tool, right? Is you turn it on when you need it, and turn it off when you don't. Yeah. Low low uh, low light output. We're speaking with Scott Lynn. He's a retired electrical engineer. He's a dark sky advocate. He wants to help turn. Like he said, you kind of spoiled it. I was going to say you 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 are you're part of an initiative to uh, I, I, I guess transist into having three Wisconsin state parks or reserves. I guess uh, two are state parks. Well, one's a natural area, one's a state park, and one's a reserve. So we have three different categories, right, Scott? Exactly, three different categories. Yeah. And then turning them into, uh, you know, getting them into the Inter- International Dark Sky Association. You said there were, what, what, 200? Around 200? 200 in the world, I believe, right now. Yeah. Well, if Wisconsin got these three, and then you said Newport State Park by Door County, four, that would be pretty incredible, would it not, to have four of the, you know, 200-some dark sky parks? Yeah, and we're, and we're lumping these three together, right? So we'll have one more. But, yeah, we can look at it that way. Sure, I like that even better. We'll have four of them, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, and and I don't know. You, you sh- do we know what state has the most? I don't know which state has the most. Uh, Michigan has at least two. Uh, a lot of them are out west. You know, and the national parks uh, have been designated. Some of the national parks have been designated. And uh, but beyond that, no, I don't know. Uh, and from you know, from my perspective, the key thing about all this is it's not so much the designation, but the education opportunity to explain to people exactly what we're talking about here today so they can take it home and do it in their own community, on their own business, at their own house. Because uh, that's the most important thing. Uh, that's what the parks really exist for is education. Yeah, I'm just going to give your phone number out here, and then people are going to call you to come have you change your lighting, whole lighting system in their driveways. <laughs> I, will, I will give you an email address. And I'm happy I'm happy to help uh, anybody who needs help with that. Honestly. Yeah, definitely. I was I was saying before I brought you on, I have a, a neighbor. They they built a relatively new house, and and then and it's in the middle of a field on the edge of a woods. Uh, and we live we love uh, we live out by uh, past Hoka, so kind of in the middle of the nowhere. And and they they put these garage lights on their brand new house, but the lights just point straight out. Like so, they got like you know a couple hundred yard long driveway. And the lights just pay, point straight out down the driveway. And I guess, you know, okay, well, maybe you're trying to light the driveway as you come in, but your car would do that. And also, like, it's really annoying because they just, they're kind of, even though they're far away, they're just, they're they're glaring everywhere. 
Exactly. And that's, that's exactly the kind of installation we're trying to help prevent. Um, and that's a, a real big problem with LED fixtures these days is, number one, um, you know, people think, well, I don't, I'm not spending much on energy, so I'll get more light. You know, I've had, I've had vendors, had retailers tell me that people come into their store and say, I want the most light I can get because they know they're going to save energy and they just think more light is better. And the message really is more light is not necessarily better. It's about the contrast between the background and what the light source is. And you get that tremendous glare from LED fixtures. And unfortunately, a lot of the LEDs are also at a very blue color temperature, which uh, is bad for a lot of reasons, but it also does increase the glare and increase sky glow when you use those blue blue lights, which are 4,000 Kelvin and above. Yeah, we could get rid of those on cars too, right? Every Everybody with their LED headlights that blind me every time they go by, even if their brights aren't on. It's a, it's a noticeable problem. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, and you'll notice that if you drive around the countryside, you know, newer installations where they've added, you know, they're called wall packs. That's kind of the generic term for it is wall packs. Uh, but wall-mounted lights that are unshielded on the front, and there are a lot of places in the countryside now when you're driving at night that you think there's a, a car coming at you around the corner, and it's just one of these bright wall packs that's shining off from a long ways off the road. All right, so we, we've got these three... Uh, natural i don't even know what how do you even say these the, one's a park one's a one's a natural area and one's a reserve i don't know how to say that efficiently that's what there is no way to say it efficiently yeah <laughs> we're, we're trying to get it designated the kickapoo valley dark sky park that's what we're calling it yeah and is that is that like your baby or are you trying for all three of these are you in your do you have your mitts in all three there's a group of us that are working on all three simultaneously that's yeah, a partnership between mississippi valley conservancy Kickapoo Valley Reserve and the Friends of Wildcat Mountain State Park. We're all working together on all three properties. All right, Scott, what I would say is figure out what state has the most of these because you're going to figure out it's four, and then you're going to go, we, we need to get one more so we have the most. <laughs> We're going to need five so we could say we have the most in the nation. That's a good thought. That's a good PR thought. Is it is it hard to do this? Okay, what's, uh you know, I think Kickapoo Valley has got to be the, is that the closest one to lacrosse? Uh, Wildcat Mountain would be closer. Oh, okay, Wildcat State Park is immediately north of immediately north of Kickapoo Valley Reserve as Wildcat Mountain State Park. They're actually okay. next, they actually join. Do they do they all have similar issues that that need to be rectified before they can be designated a dark sky park? Or what what are some of the problems we have? Well, Tunnelville Cliffs is easy because there are no lights there, and they're not allowed to have any lights. Okay, <laughs> like Conservancy, that one that was a simple one. We didn't have to do any work there at all. Uh, and KBR and Wildcat are similar. We had. Uh, about 60 fixtures we started with that had to be converted, had to be modified, um, and we removed 12 of them that weren't really weren't needed, weren't really in use, didn't need to be ha- didn't need to be kept, and have modified all but six of the rest of them to be fully shielded, to get a warmer color temperature, 3,000 degree Kelvin or, or lower, so that they uh, and and also reduce the lighting. We could reduce the foot candles, the light on the ground quite a bit, and and still be very effective at lighting. Now, when you're out there, like where are, are we talking? Like lights in the parking lot? Because I feel like people aren't people don't really need the light when they're out and about. Like, why are people out there at ten at night? Do we need light there at that point? Right. It is. It is parking lot lights at Kickapoo Valley Reserve. It's building mounted lights, which are required for uh, emergency egress mm-hmm. right? at exit doors. You have to have an egress light there. So it's those kind of lights primarily. Um, there's a shower building at Wildcat Mountain State Park, which is the toilet and showers, which are accessible to campers all times of night. And so we have lights there, which we've dramatically reduced the amount of light on the outside of that building. And the reason that works is because everything around it, as you pointed out, is dark. And so you don't need a lot of light on a building to be able to find it 
and to orient yourself around it. You just need a little bit of light to be able to see what's going on. You're not trying to read a newspaper outside. so Well, inside, though, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe inside, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're speaking with Scott Lind, a retired electrical engineer, a dark sky advocate. He's trying to get these three uh, areas of, of Wisconsin, I'll just say, uh, part of the, the International Dark Sky Association. When we come back, uh, I got some more questions for you, Scott, if you can hold tight. Sure. I held off on playing the, uh, Darth, the, the Empire theme song, Scott. <laughs> Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line if you want to get in here. Scott Lynn continuing with us. Uh, part of the he want, His goal on making the, the earth as dark as possible. Uh, he's a retired electrical engineer. He's a dark sky advocate, and he's trying to help the Kickapoo Valley Reserve, Wildcat Mountain State Park, and Tunnelville Cliff State Park, which I didn't even know was a thing until you just told me, and it's closer than the other ones to lacrosse. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. Maybe it's a cool place to go check out. Uh, but you're trying to get them into the International Dark Sky Association. And during the break, Scott, we we looked, and we're definitely not going to, from my rough estimates, not going to beat any of those West Coast states like Utah or anything in uh, in dark sky parks because they have like 10 or more uh, but four is a good number, I think. Wisconsin already has one Newport State Park. Uh, you're trying to to convert these other areas into that as well. Um, how did you how did you get into this? Like that seems like a were you into into just looking at the stars or what? Yeah, that's, I mean that's pretty much it. My wife and I do a lot of backcountry camping, and I have since I was a kid. And you know, I worked in Yellowstone National Park for a summer, but we spent a lot of time in other national parks and. When you get out into those areas where there is no artificial light uh, and you see the sky kind of for the first time, uh, that for me anyway was kind of an overwhelming experience. And and so I've I've been working, you know, trying as a as an engineer specifying fixtures for a long, long time. I mean, since at least 2000, specifying dark sky compliant fixtures for all the projects I worked on. And it really was because of having that experience of being out at night in a place with no artificial light on a clear night and what the universe looks like in that situation. Now, a friend of mine who, who joins the show once a month, uh, Spencer Halsey, she, she asks, she, she texts me a question. How many nocturnal animals do you have to fight on average? Are you fighting a lot of raccoons and possums when you're out there? No, they love us because they like the night sky, right? So they're happy that we're out there working on, working on their behalf. Yeah, they no, they no fights necessary. Yeah, they, they, there's no light to uh, shine on them, I guess, right? And it's not like you're you're installing uh, these in, these other lights at in the middle of the night. You wouldn't be doing that anyway. Correct. Yep. Exactly. We do it during the day. Yeah. Um. So a lot of this stuff, the 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 parks that you're you're talking about, and I say parks, and I mean you know Valley Reserve, <laughs> a state yeah, park, and a yeah. natural area. Yeah. These places that you're talking about. There we go. Places. That's a better word. Um. Are is. Oh, are there big cities? Is Lacrosse like the biggest city closest to to most of these? Yeah, Lacrosse would be the largest city that would be nearest. Yep, but you know, there are other communities around that put quite a bit of sky glow. Um, you know, certainly Hillsboro and Toma and Sparta. I mean, they aren't large cities by comparison to Lacrosse, but there's still a lot of light that gets tossed into the sky. Um, so how do you how do you combat that? What? Okay, first of all, let's just do let's just do Toma. What what sure. what is Toma doing wrong? Not so much doing wrong, but what could Toma do better to help the you know these land areas next to the city uh, help become more dark sky compliant? I would I would say. 
Yeah, and I, I have not driven into Toma to see what their streetlights are, for example, and I don't honestly know off the top of my head whether Toma is a municipal utility or whether they have an investor owned that takes care of their streetlights for them. Um, but, you know, one of the big things is use dark sky compliant street lighting. Um, and, and most street lights that are being installed these days are, are shielded, fully shielded, uh, are also known as full cutoff fixtures. So there's no lens dropping below the opaque part on top, right? That's the number one thing. Um, use a color temperature that's not as blue. So use a 3000 degree Kelvin color temperature. Uh, and, you know, that's, those are really the two key things in terms of street lights. Beyond that, a lot of the light glow that's coming out of places, you know, like Toma or La Crosse or anywhere, um, even in Ontario, a lot of the other light glow is coming from fixtures that are on private buildings. The vast majority of those are going to be wall-mounted lights, and that really is what it comes down to is not so much what can the city do. They can, they can do a lot in their own buildings, whatever city-owned buildings there are, but it really requires an initiative by all the building owners in the, in the community to try and change what kind of lights they have in their building. Now, you said wall-mounted lights, but what about, I mean, Sparta, Sparta, Toma, La Crosse has two. They all got Walmarts. They all have these parking lots, right, like that are lighted all the time. Are those yep. lights pretty bad? I mean, they can be, right? Um, in that, you know, the, the other feature of trying to be a good steward of the dark sky would be to not use as bright a light, in addition to being lights that are fully shielded, in addition to color temperature. So, yes, all the privately owned parking lots, certainly. If they're not a dark sky type fixture, that'd be the first thing to, to make them dark sky. At the Kickapoo Valley Reserve, we have parking lot lights there, uh, and the those were metal halide fixtures, which have quite a blue color temperature to them. And I was able to reduce the light output of those fixtures by almost 75%, change the color temperature to a much warmer color temperature, and then ask people that were using that parking lot, is this a problem? And everybody's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Why would it be a problem? They didn't even recognize that it had been changed. Well, the one thing I would think of is safety, right? If the if the parking lot isn't lit the way I feel, you know, where it's well, it's just not lit enough. It's not bright enough for me. And then I feel vulnerable going out to my car. Maybe somebody's hiding somewhere because it's not lit up. Sure. And, and that's, a, that's a valid concern. And one of the biggest things about understanding that issue is understanding that the key thing is contrast. And so you want to have uh, uniformity as much as possible in that lighting. And that requires lights to be, you know, maybe closer together. Um, but most of, those, most of those parking lots that they're designed by a lighting designer or, or an engineer, they already have pretty good uniformity. It's just that they're very, very bright. And what you'd find is if, you know, you, you reduce that brightness by 50%, probably the light output 50%, and you wouldn't really feel any different. It's astonishing if you take a light meter to see how much change you have to make in light output before your eye really notices it. It's when, pretty amazing. When you're driving around, you know, maybe in the in the late evening, maybe 8, eight o'clock or so, do you just start huffing and puffing when you see a, a, a bar league softball game going on and the lights are, you're just like, you could see those lights from like four miles away and you're like, oh, those lights, I got to go over there and talk to those people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, you know, ironically, when the ball field lights in Ontario went out because of the flood down here, I went down and fixed them for them and I can see them from my house. But those are not on all night long, right? And okay. There are, there are certainly activities that require a different level of lighting. I've talked to the Lafarge schools because they asked me if I could help them with their, with their ball field lighting. And I totally get there are activities that happen where there's going to be lights that are not going to be necessarily very dark sky friendly. But those are not on all night long 
seven days a week, right? The ones that are on all night long unnecessarily, they're on for really no good purpose or are much brighter than they need to be. Those are the ones that, you know, that's the ones that bring my blood pressure up. Yeah, and I guess, you know, it, it, now you're, it sounds like you're starting small. So now, obviously, you're going to start with the communities around the, the, the land areas that you're trying to get these uh, initiatives started. Uh, but as you go out, like, how difficult do you think it would be to, I mean, this is a thing that we could, like, you're talking, this stuff is more efficient, it's cost-saving. Uh, this is a thing, like, cities should be talking about, maybe bigger cities, even. Well, and that's exactly right. I think, you know, a lot of the big cities have done, if you look at lighting conversions for streetlights, that's really the thing that's been the focus almost everywhere is street lighting conversions. And most everybody recognizes, you know, have learned that LED fixtures are much, much more energy efficient. And the thing, the next step to recognizing that is that by doing the lighting better, by using dark sky fixtures, you're not wasting light up into the sky, you gain that next level of efficiency, right? So it's not just changing the source is changing how much light you're putting out of that source as well. And you really get a whole other tier of efficiency by doing that. The energy is changing out their street lights and their system-wide in Iowa and Wisconsin to be a dark sky, a fully shielded fixture. And they are literally taking the amount of light coming out of the fixture and cutting it in half in every case. They aren't putting the same amount of light in and just taking advantage of the LED efficiency. They're putting half the amount of light out, and they get that much more efficiency out of it. And they can do that because all that other light was, was going into the sky. And here in Ontario, I took a photograph from a site that overlooks the village before they changed out the streetlights. And you could see every streetlight in town, right? You could see the glow from every streetlight. Yeah. I took a picture after they changed those pictures out, and those streetlights disappear. And yet, if you drive into Ontario, anybody who lives in La Crosse, come to Ontario, canoe the Kickapoo River, stay at night, whatever, you drive through Ontario, you would never guess that those street not be seen from above right? it is very well lit yeah definitely that's something that can be emulated everywhere and a lot of places are but the next thing is really like you mentioned lights and really these wall mounted lights uh, are kind of the next thing to really address i'm going to take a picture of my uh my floodlights that are out on, on my house and you you could tell me what i'm doing wrong um Okay, so uh, during the break, you told me Newport State Park saw a jump of 40% in their like tourism industry, however you want to categorize that, just because they became a dark sky association state park. Um, and I just want to bring this to lacrosse. Okay, first, so let's just do Grandad Bluff. I'm sure you know what that is, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. I don't know. That was a dumb question. Um, Grandad Bluff, it's, you know, right at the heart of the city, essentially. You know, it's like, kind of on the edge of the city, but could could lacrosse do anything to make it so i mean how tough would it be to convert lacrosse into something where i can go lay on granddad bluff and look up and it would be noticeably different to look at the stars now versus you know changing a changeover that's a great question i should you know i should spend some time at night i come to lacrosse at night but i just go to i go to the concordia i go dancing at concordia with my wife but i should try spend try driving around lacrosse at night and just look at the existing street lights for example uh, or look at any existing light sources that are really, you know, egregious and see, you know, what it would take to change those out. But it really would require a change in mindset, really, for the whole community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can start with street lighting because those are kind of ubiquitous, but it would require cooperation from, you know, large businesses that have lots and lots of buildings with lights on them or large businesses that have lots of parking lot lights, those kind of things. It would take a coordinated effort, I think, before you would see a, a a real impact on that, but it certainly would help if all the streetlights were fully shielded. That would help a lot and an appropriate light level. 
Yeah, and looking at this map on the International Dark Sky Association uh, website, there's just it's a map of the Earth, and you can see where all these parks qualify for different levels of you know we're part of the Dark Sky Initiative. Um, there's two in Chicago, so this is what got me thinking about this. Like, how does a, a, a park or whatever in the like in the Chicago area even qualify for such a thing? I would think that you wouldn't even be able to look up and see hardly anything. And that's and that's right. You know, the International Dark Sky Association is, is really all about education um, to help spread the message. And so they give a designation for urban areas like the ones you're describing, where they realize they can't get the sky darkness like we can here, like Newport can. But if they're making an extreme effort, an extraordinary effort to educate the public about the problem and how they can fix it, um, that's why they can get that designation. And then they are they are better. They have some quality of, of of night sky better than you know maybe inner city Chicago does downtown Chicago does, yeah. but they certainly would not qualify as a dark sky park normally. Yeah, for sure, it would be it would be hard. Um, what, what kind of differences you know when when you start doing these conversions? You know, you're trying to do Kickapoo Valley Reserve, uh, Wildcat Mountain State Park, and and Tunnelville Cliffs State Natural Area. Um, when you, when you do these conversions, I, I don't know if you, if one is further along than another, but what kind of differences are you seeing? Are you seeing are you seeing differences in wildlife or anything like that, or just when you look up? I suppose. Yeah, we haven't, and we have just finished these conversions now. So Tunnelville was easy again because we'd have to do. They had no light. That was an easy one. Um, KVR, we're done with everything down there except six fixtures and Wildcat. We're 100 percent done. And yeah, it's, I've taken photographs, uh, you know, of the buildings at at each stage as I've changed things out and you do you don't notice it now because once it's done you can't you know nobody would notice the difference but uh, when you see what it was at the beginning and how it's transitioned yes I mean much less glare much better you know visibility in terms of, of being able to actually see instead of just looking at a glary light fixture in your eyes that kind of thing so and like I mentioned from Wildcat looking down over Ontario you know that that change is really obvious and if you were to you know get a get a sky view of Wildcat or a sky view of KVR, I know you would see a similar type of change. Do you, do you have like a timeline when any of these might might just be able to be part of this association? Uh, we've been working with them on parts and pieces of the you know lighting management plan, the lighting inventory, our outreach uh, things as we go along, but I would expect it'll be certainly sometime this year when we'll get our application done. You know, if we're really lucky, maybe we get a designation by the end of this year. That would be great if we can get it by the end of 2022. What if it snows a lot? Then what if it snows a lot? Then the moon's going to be reflecting. It'll be tough. It'll be tough at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yeah. The moon. We're okay with the moon. They're okay with the moon too. Yeah, you, there's probably different measurements for that. Um, yep. All right. I think. And then you know, just last thing. I know you you mentioned you could give out your email, but if people wanted to, you know kind of do this just right in their own yards, in their own houses. Is there, a, is there a resource to go to, like a website to go to? I would start with darksky.org. And if you click on, uh, I think it's their lighting tab. Yeah, they have a lighting tab um, that will talk about finding dark sky-friendly lighting. Mm-hmm. And they have manufacturers' pictures listed there that they have looked at and approved. And that is the most certain way that you're getting a fixture that's going to be you know, compliant with a, a dark sky type for your own house. But, um, you know, if you, you know, honestly, I'll tell you what, I'll, if you, my email address, uh, redshift, R-E-D-S-H-I-F-T, electric, redshiftelectric at gmail.com. 
and I will send you a little two-page uh, document that has pictures that shows you what you should look for when you're going to buy a light fixture. Because you can find fixtures, um, if you're looking for them, you can find fixtures at Home Depot, for example. You could find some fixtures at Menards, for example, or at your local hardware stores, for example, or online. And a couple in your basement or garage, too, I bet. Uh, most of my basement and garage are fixtures I've taken out that are not dark specs. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't find many that are you want to put in your building that are. This is funny too. On darksky.org, I go and and hover over lighting, and there's all kinds of tabs there. And one is my neighbor's lighting. I got mad right away. I'm like, oh, my neighbor's lighting. I tell you. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you coming on with us, Scott. And um, you know that this this sounds really cool. Let let us know uh, how it's going. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. So thanks very much. All right. See ya. All right, so long. All right, that was Scott Lind, retired electrical engineer, a dark sky advocate. His goal to make the earth as dark as possible. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. Just going to wrap up here for the last minute. Thanks again to Scott Lind, retired electrical engineer and dark sky advocate. And if you missed it, he's trying to get... It's called the International Dark Sky Association. Essentially just trying to make areas as dark as possible. So when you look up, you can see the stars and that's obviously gonna help, you know, bring in tourism if you can you can kinda advocate for that. But also it's it's good for nature. It's good for the lightning bugs and you know, all those nocturnal animals. Uh he's trying to get uh right now they're in the midst of trying to get the Kickapoo Valley Reserve and Wildcat Mountain State Park and the Tunnelville Cliffs State Natural Area all converted into this dark sky association. Sounds like a pretty cool project uh, and might even get done, might even get done this year. Newport state park in door County on the shores of Lake Michigan is already in Wisconsin's only dark sky state park. All right. That's going to wrap it up. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. Thanks everybody for listening.